It's 8.09. Just to uh, give you some news that's come out of Washington, President Donald Trump has said he'd be disappointed if something is in the works in North Korea. And uh, this is the precise quote uh, on top of that. He said, if it is, we'll take care of it. We're watching it very closely. And uh, it probably means plans for an ICBM test. All the indicators are in that direction. Maybe there's a silver lining that North Korea is doing all this very openly and is trying to force the U.S. hand. The downside, perhaps, is that if the U.S. doesn't respond favorably, North Korea will just go ahead anyway with an ICBM launch if it wasn't planning to do so originally. Sue Kim, now of Rand Corporation, former CIA North Korea analyst, joins us on the line to offer some expert opinion. Good morning to you. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, thank you for joining us. Just to reiterate, Stephen Began, the U.S. Special Representative for North Korea, is here on the peninsula. He suggested a meeting at the border. We saw President Trump spring a similar surprise, and that actually led to a meeting with Chairman Kim earlier in the year. Do you, do you see Mr. Began's offer going anywhere? Well, I think the circumstances are much different now where, you know, we've tried the summitry for two rounds, perhaps even three, if we count the, the June 30th Common Jump surprise visit. At this point, um, North Korea has been building and building and building, and you have to wonder if they're going to build, why not, why just let that, you know, why put that in the storage shed and not use it or not, you know, get the ma- maximum out of it if you're not going to actually demonstrate it. So I think the summitry is probably going to be... You know, if, if let's say the United States actually agrees to it or the two sides come to an agreement to, to meet, perhaps that's an option. But I, I do not think that um, Began will actually be and will actually be able to meet with Chesney right now, because from North Korea's perspective, there's no there's nothing really to gain from a working level talk. Um, they've also warned in the rhetoric that, you know, they're done with with, with symmetry and with the meetings that are just for, you know, political show or, you know, time buying tactics. So. I think the the desire and, and the intent maybe on Washington's part might be there to perhaps salvage this in any way that they can. But I think for North Korea, the door is probably closed. One of the uh, latest updates on this from the Chinese and Russian side is they've proposed the UN Security Council lift a ban on North Korea exporting statues, seafood and textiles, to be very precise, according to a draft resolution that Reuters has seen and has reported. OK, those particular items might not be um, particularly problematic, but it's all about raising funds for North Korea and loosening up an economy that's been heavily restricted because of its past provocations. And as we approach the possibility of a major provocations, uh, can we even see the US considering what Russia and China are suggesting? Well, we have to also think about, you know, if we do take upon the suggestions of Beijing and Moscow, what exactly is the United States going to be gaining, not just in terms of um, perhaps uh, tamping or freezing the North Korean nuclear missile threat, but, you know, from a negotiation perspective, we've actually lost, I would say, most if not all of our leverage to um, not just to deal with the North Koreans on their weapons, but also just from a U.S. And the international order perspective, there's nothing that we've gained. So for us to, at this point, come to accept or relent to a you know suggestion by China and Russia, it I think that would just signal defeat, and that would also signal to the North Koreans that they could keep pushing us even further. So as tempting as it is for us to take that 
perhaps a debate um, and, and see where that goes, I think that might open up even greater doors for trouble and for North Korea to continue to poke holes in our strategy. Let's look um, at North Korea's particular provocations recently. We've had uh, an unprecedented number of short-range missile launches this year, but more recently, these apparent rocket engine tests. The first one was very much viewed as exactly that. The second one, North Korea said over the weekend that on late Friday night, it carried out a, a crucial test for seven minutes. Perhaps that was sending a message to missile analysts, uh, that the fact that they specified that. It, it was a way of perhaps saying, you know, we are testing something very significant, not just your average thrust. What do you read into it? Well, you know, most things that North Koreans do, it, it's not really by coincidence. I, I think that the timing of it and the lead up to the urine deadline and the ramping up of the rhetoric and the satellite activity that we've seen, um, it's, it's definitely a message that they're trying to send to the United States that are going to keep up the pressure. You mentioned that it was a seven-minute test. It was also conducted um, at 11 p.m. or close to that local time. And that's because they probably wanted to avoid being detected by, um, you know, ISR capabilities, ISR um, by the United States. So it was in North Korea's interest to, to avoid being detected so that they could actually move forward with their plans. Um, I, I do agree that the seven minutes was significant, and it, the North Koreans would not have made it a point to, to write that in their rhetoric if, if they didn't want the United States to pay attention to it, and if, the, if they didn't want the United States to, to keep in mind that there's a possibility of not just a short range, but also a longer range and also an ICBM capability that's coming down the pike. What that means, of course, for the United States is the North Korean expectation that we cave in, that we make concessions um, by the year-end deadline. Um, and, you know, at this point, we have to wonder what other options we have on the table because of the way the negotiations were, um, were, were, were mapped out from the get-go. And on that seven-minute issue, just one more question. I mentioned briefly before the re-entry vehicle question. It seems like we're picking up where we left off in 2017, North Korea trying to master that technology. And if it is able to do so, then there doesn't seem to be then a, a major stumbling block between North Korea firing an ICBM and that potentially reaching the United States. What's your view? Right, and that's why it, it, it should be concerning to us because... You know, it's not just um, the typical test that we've seen up, up to the stage. Um, it's, it's really North Korea taking the time over the past, I'd say, over a year while the negotiation, the tug of war was happening, silently and quietly just marching forward in its plan, um, you know, testing its missiles um, after a certain point, calling out the United States and saying that we've been waiting patiently for you guys to hold up your end of the agreement. And since you're not, we're going to move forward with our new path. And that's exactly what they were doing. There are a lot of technical reasons which we don't need to get into because of the time available for why uh, seven minutes might indicate a, a, a more complex test. Um, but rest assured, there's a lot of analysis out there if anyone's interested in checking that out and also the, the, the technology behind re-entry and why it's so challenging for North Korea to, to master that and what it would mean if, if that is the case. Um, just skipping ahead to let's presume it is the case, Su Kim, and we see an ICBM launch in the coming days or, or early in the new year when President Trump says we'll deal with it. What do you think he means by that? Well, you know, from, from the South Korean perspective, I think they were not ruling out the fact that the United States could strike back militarily. And, you know, 
for the past several weeks, we've seen that North Koreans were also ramping up um, fortifications along the, the, the West Sea as well. So North Korea has various options that it could use to get our attention and also to, to put us in a, in a corner where we don't really have too many options to respond. Let's say that the United States either, you know, avoids just responding plain rhetoric and, and responds militarily or takes a stronger measure you know, it's not only just a return to fire and fury, but it's actually putting, you know, into danger and, and, and endangering the lives and the security of not just, you know, the United States, but also the region as well. And that's why it's alarming, because it's not just going to be a U.S. versus North Korea tug of war, but it's going to be something that's going to involve the interested parties of the region. A question that we've returned to every few months is, when we're assessing these options, can the U.S., leverage sanctions much more significantly than it already has? We've been told the answer is yes by some analysts, but uh, with China and Russia doing what they're doing, suggesting actually lifting sanctions, it doesn't look like they're going to allow North Korea to entirely um, be deprived of economic access either. (laughs) Right, right. Well, you know, the thing is, with sanctions, the the key countries are not just the United States, but as you mentioned, China and Russia. And I think that because the United States have been taking such a lax approach, the leverage that we also had over Moscow, over Beijing as well, is, is, is we're losing our grasp. And, and for, for people to argue that the sanctions have not worked is to say that, you know, I would say that we haven't really put them into full effect. Yeah, so if, if, if we can't, for whatever reason, put sanctions into full effect, it, it does seem to suggest the only way of sending a very clear message to North Korea is, is through another method. Uh, the, the most obvious one that comes to mind is some sort of targeted strike, but that is a, a serious option that no one's going to take lightly. Right, Can you right, even see right. that happening in any way in 2020, for example? Well, you know, if it does, you know, it, let's say that we've tried all of our outlets. We've tried to tighten and call out Chinese companies and banks to, to really just put a tighter squeeze on them. Um, and, and that doesn't work, and we do go pursue this conventional military attack or confrontation, again, it's not just going to be a neatly confined issue between Pyongyang and Washington, but it's going to involve the interests of all the parties in the region. We also have to consider where the U.S. stands, where, where it is right now with its alliances. Um, you, know, you understand, you, you know that uh, Washington and Seoul are going through the, the burden-sharing negotiations, and likewise for Tokyo. So the traditional alliances that we would we would be able to rely on in, in times of, of security tensions like this might not be there readily. Uh, so we have to think about that as well and how this problem that should be contained might actually get out of control. Yeah. And the question is, you know, whether or not we can take action, but then how are we going to deal with, with the consequences and the after effects? Thank you very much, Sue Kim. Pleasure to have you with us. Thank you. Sue Kim of Rand Corporation, former CIA career analyst.